Welcome to the Being the Change podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Vandeveer, here with Isabel Kiyosayan. We are the founders of Meditation Without Borders, and today we are very excited to have a guest that we are both friends with, <laughs> Light Watkins, the Yay! luminous White Watkins. Yay! <laughs> Light is now Izzy's neighbor down in Mexico City. Yeah. But I would say Light is really a, a, a citizen of the world, really. <laughs> He's everybody's neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's neighbor. Your friendly neighborhood, Light Watkins. <laughs> <laughs> y'all are funny man <laughs> so for those of you who don't know who light is which is you know hard to believe um nobody nobody <laughs> light watkins is a incredible meditation teacher he's also a speaker and an author and um he just wrote he has many books his latest one is called knowing where to look which is 108 daily doses of inspiration which yes if you could see us, we are both holding up our copies. <laughs> oh, there's a third one with light. Um, light's got his too. So light has had a very interesting life and a very charmed life as Izzy and I were just talking about. And it seems like um, everything just has fallen into place for light. Uh, That's exactly how it's worked out. <laughs> it's actually kind of annoying. Um, <laughs> My life is so perfect, it annoys me too. When you read his book, he goes into how he went, he just on a hunch went to Paris with no money and no contacts and ended up with multiple vouchers for plane flights, a job and, you know, all this stuff seems to just happen. Friends, the first day. Friends, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so we'd love to talk to you about that because we were wondering if you think charm, you know, living a charmed life comes from just being born under the right stars, or if it in fact comes from just listening to that voice of inspiration inside. Well, you know, we all, you, the three of us have a, a very um, unique understanding of that word charmed. And, you know, there's two ways you can interpret it. One is you wait for things to happen to you. The other way, the way that we understand it is you follow it, right. you follow it. So uh, everybody has something that charms them an idea, uh, a, a desire, um, or some preference. And, and so even before I met Tom Knowles, who's, who's, I think is all of our teachers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Before I met him, I was, something was compelling me to follow charm without realizing that's what I was doing. And um, so I had no language for it and things just sort of like working out. Hmm. Uh, things are working out, but you know, there's a lot of, of uncertainty that, that comes before the working outness of <laughs> the working out stage, <laughs> the net appearing stage. So, yeah, I don't know. For some reason I, I had a, I developed an appetite for that thrill that comes with, with it. And I, and the, the fortunate part the part I, I will say that I, I uh, kind of lucked into is just having a supportive family, you know, like mm -hmm. what I, what I found just living life is that the people who come from uh, stable environments tend to put a lot of value on 
thrill and adventure and excitement. And people who come from unstable environments tend to put a lot of value on stability and, uh, and, and certainty and knowing that they're going to have their needs met and stuff like that. So, so I came from more of a stable environment. And I think that's why I was more inclined to take leaps of faith, take chances and, um, and, and inadvertently follow charm. And so when I met our teacher and I learned now, it sounds like we're in a cult. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just say when I started meditating and I developed the language through self-study and studying with our teachers, um, and you learn, you learn about the mechanics of, you know, doing something that makes you, um, have to take, have to trust in the process and these kinds of mechanics, then, I had already had enough empirical evidence to just say, yes, okay, I'll, I'll do that. I'll try that. And, um, and yeah, things have worked out enough for me to keep doing that. I I love reading about your stories because I feel like you, you take, you listen to that voice so, so perfectly that, that you'll take these risks that I, I, I almost wish, um, I, I, I could take, like, for example, one of the things you've done is when you, I assume your inner voice told you to get rid of everything you own mm-hmm. and go mm-hmm. on your adventure, your nomadic adventure. And I remember thinking how interesting it is to be jealous of someone who's gotten rid of everything they own. You mm-hmm. know, I had this, this like, oh man, I wish I could do that. Cause you know, I have three kids is not really in position to just throw everything out. But, you know, usually we would think about like someone who loses everything in a fire and like, oh my gosh, that poor person, they've lost everything. But because you did it out of choice, you, you let go of everything you owned. And by doing that, the amount of creativity you opened up for yourself, mm-hmm. because yeah. you acted as your own destruction operator <laughs> and you opened up this flow that I can only imagine just kept carrying you. So I'd love to hear you explain that experience a little bit because I'm, I find it fascinating. I think what you said there that stood out for me that I think is one of the secrets to all of this, to, to, to having the net appear is to be, be your own destruction operator. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, it's, 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 that's a very, simplistic way of looking at it we obviously know there's more layers to it than that but the other thing is and i just want to state this for the record is that the stuff in the book the stories in the book are just the ones that worked out you know there's a lot of things that i've done that (laughs) didn't make the book because it wasn't that interesting it wasn't that obvious that this is a part of the whole process you know so i I want to be honest about that yeah i want to be honest about that that you know the stuff these 108 stories um, and then the other thing is, you know, these, these stories that you're referring to are the greatest hits from the 2000 plus daily doses of inspiration emails that I've sent out. And so if you do anything that often, you know, you send out a daily email where it takes you a few hours to, to write it and edit it and think about it. Um, I told a friend of mine the other day when I was, when this came up in conversation, we were having pizza. We were at a pizza restaurant in Mexico city. And I said, you know what? I've been doing this stuff so long. I could probably, I, I said, it, if I wanted to, I could write an inspirational story about eating pizza right now with you. <laughs> like I could come up with something. I could come up with something, <laughs> some metaphor 
and tie it all together in a neat bow. Cause that's what I've been very practiced at doing, you know? So, so now I've trained myself to look for it everywhere. And it's not that I'm BSing people. It's just that you can see it everywhere. It's like, if you have a, a blog, um, about red cars and every day you're posting about a red car that you saw and what kind of car it was and how it made you feel, you would see red cars where other people wouldn't even notice them. You'd see them everywhere and you would notice little nuances about them. So it just, that's, that's one of the positive side effects that I, that came from this experiment along with the book is it causes you to see inspiration everywhere. So going back to your question about getting rid of everything. um, Oh, and the other side note about that is that I got the initial inspiration to get rid of everything like two years before I actually pulled the trigger on it. So I procrastinated. I came up with excuses. I drug my feet. I do the same thing that everybody else does. Right. But eventually you follow through on it. And and then, you know, that's when the adventure really, truly begins. So the only difference really in, in what I do now versus what I was doing, say, 15 years ago was I, I the lag time in between the initial idea and the follow through the, the, the leap of faith has gotten a lot shorter. And I consider two years to be fairly short lag time between having it because that's a that's a fairly life-changing decision you know yeah. <laughs> okay get rid of everything you've accumulated in 40 plus years <laughs> and live from a backpack <laughs> you know? it took me a couple years you know you know give me a little cut me some slack here with my three uh, kids I can't even leave the house without multiple right. bags so that's impressed. right <laughs> with multiple bags <laughs> You probably have more when you leave your house on a given day than I, I, that I carry around with me. I'm sure country I do. To country. <laughs> so, so it's all relative is my point. It's all relative. And, um, and yeah, when I finally, it didn't get really real until I gave my 30 day notice on my, uh, my apartment. And, and again, I don't have kids. I'm not married. So, and I don't have hair. So that makes it a lot <laughs> that makes it a lot simpler for me to do those kinds of experiments. And, and partially the reason why I decided to follow through with them was because I'm not married. I don't have kids and I don't have hair. So I go, this is the perfect time to do it. I had no idea that, you know, there was a pandemic coming and this was actually going to be great preparation for this pandemic. But again, when you follow the, the charm, you, you kind of end up at the front of the wave more often than not. And then when, when a major change or a minor change happens, you you find that oh wow I'm prepared for this. I didn't even realize that that's what this this deep desire was was leading me towards was preparation for this thing that was that was impending, and uh, and I didn't know it was coming. That's there's beautiful. So many, there's so many parts in the book that I noticed you that start out negative. Mm-hmm. And then these situations that start out negative and through your, in your own consciousness, you decide to flip them. Mm-hmm. So I think also in talking about charm, leading a charmed life is also a, you know, a technique for doing that is to find the positive in these situations. Like I, the one I'm thinking of specifically is with this, the um, flight attendant. Yes. That's a piece called uh, flipping the frustration. <laughs> where I was on a, a jet blue flight and, um, you know, I've traveled a lot. So I kind of have my whole routine down to a T and I like to bring my own food and my own water. And, 
and uh, or a refillable water bottle so I can get water in the airport and snacks. And, you know, I like to get on the aisle seat so I don't have to ask someone to go to the bathroom. And I like to sit in this particular section of the plane and <laughs> make sure I have the right leg room and everything that I need, right? I've got my little pashmina for my eyes <laughs> when it's too bright. So on this particular flight, I had some work that I wanted to do. And the, the flight attendants were pretty... Um, uh, attentive, you know, they were coming up every thing would seem to be every two seconds asking me if I wanted water and if I needed snacks or if I wanted this or that. And I started finding myself getting annoyed for whatever reason, because I felt like it was obvious that I had everything that I needed. And, um, and it kept breaking my flow of my workflow. And, and then when it happened, the final time that broke the straw that broke the camel's back. And I, I just found, felt myself going into this sort of reactivity. I was somehow able to catch myself in mid reaction and flip it into appreciation. And I just started, I don't know. I just, I just, I, and maybe this is the value of, med, of doing, you know, years and years of meditation is it wasn't pre um, it wasn't like a pre thought out thing that I'm going to show her, I'm going to compliment her. It just literally just came out. It literally came out like a ball. It was like an <laughs> eruption of appreciation. <laughs> like, <laughs> I couldn't even help it. I just started complimenting her and while I was upset that she was bugging me. And I just, I saw her as like my mother or my sister or, and I just started, I just said, look, I appreciate you asking me. And I said, I know a lot of passengers don't appreciate, you know, all the attention you're giving us. And I just, it must be hard being ignored by, I was talking about myself. It must be hard being ignored by people sometimes. And you're just here doing your job. And I just wanted to say, thank you so much. You're making us feel so cared for. And I could see her energy just started to, she started to glow <laughs> while I was talking. And this of course made me lean into it even more. And, um, and not in a way where I was like trying to flatter her. I was just like connect. I was having this moment where I was connecting with another human and I was, I was, she had been making me feel so appreciated. I realized in that moment. And so I, I just wanted to make her feel seen and heard and, uh, yeah. And it just really, it, it shifted my energy and, and gave me, a, I was on a high for the rest of the flight. And then even when I got home at night, and I just reflected on how that one interaction changed me so tangibly, so dramatically, you know, just telling someone I appreciated them and, and being sincere about that. Because otherwise, I would just have a normal day. I mean, it probably wouldn't have been a bad day, it just would have been normal. But instead, there was this, I have felt like I just, you know, gave a TED talk or something, you know, you're just on this high. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, wow, that's powerful. That's some powerful stuff. N meantime, I had to figure out something to write the next day for my daily email. Cause I write it every day, like a meditation. And so I, that gave me an opportunity to really think about it even deep on a deeper level and think about what it meant for me. And um, so it's kind of nice. It's like a journal for inspiration every day. And um and so, yeah, that one made it into the book, which I was pretty excited about.
something that I, I talked to you uh, before, like at, at some other occasion, was that they're short, but they're so deep. And mm. so sometimes we don't even have time to read like a whole, because I'm not a minimalist. I should be. I should learn from you. <laughs> and so I write really long ones. And my students love yours because they're short to the point. They're super deep and they get the message across. And I know that that takes more work. Yes, so that's, that's harder to make it short, <laughs> <laughs> to make, make it short without losing the point. And, uh, you know, the thing with writing these, these is on any given day, I'll have like a, I'll have a spectrum. Some people are like, that's exactly what I need to hear. You just saved my life. Other people may be like, I'm offended because you didn't include whatever their situation is. And, uh, and so you learn over the, over the years to filter for every situation. So when I'm writing, I'm asking myself at the end, okay, so if I was, if I was um, abused by someone and I read this, what would I read into it, right? If I was in that kind of hurt space, what could I potentially read into this? Or if I was abandoned or if um, I was depressed and maybe on the verge of suicide and I read this. I mean, obviously you can't account for every single situation, but there are a few major situations that I've learned to account for just so that I don't in accidentally invalidate anyone's experience because that's not the point is the mission statement is to leave people more inspired than they were when they clicked on their on their email right so that's actually great and i recommend to people to be really clear about your mission because it's your best editor no knowing what your mission is is going to help you in the editing process. Otherwise you may end up including stuff that you think is clever or cute, but it's not really serving the mission. And the idea is to serve the mission. So I have an idea, I have a sense of how long I want it to be, how I want people to feel afterwards, people from all ends of the spectrum of experiences. And, uh, and so that makes it, that definitely adds more time to it. Um, but it's at the end of the day, it's worth it. You know, like looking at the book, which is accumulation of 108 of the greatest hits and just <laughs> understanding how much effort and time went into whittling those down in real time when I first posted them or first sent them out. And then I had to do very minimal editing later on. So it was, it was worth it, you know. What would you uh say is your mission? How would you define it? My personal mission is just to leave people better than how I found them and that, or leave spaces better than how I found them. Like to bring the light, no pun intended, <laughs> to, to, to uh, whatever, whatever space or experience I happen to be a part of. And I'm not always as successful as I want to be with that, especially with interpersonal relationships, you know, but that's, everybody has challenges in that area. So, um, but that's the intent. That's the intent. It was professionally, at least is uh, in the talks that I give and the content that I create for my like social media and stuff um, to, to, to hopefully leave the person who's, who's crossing paths with my work better leave them in a better space energetically than, or, or more thought provoking or curious. That's what I mean when I say better 
um, because you can't control people's emotional state, obviously, but you can give them things to think about, leave breadcrumbs for them to find their way into their, into their self, their, their capital S self. So that's, that's what I would say my mission is. And, and you do it even with your friends. I I think that's just (laughs) who you are when, Mm -hmm. when we met up, um, light was telling me like, why are you just teaching in Mexico? Why aren't you, you know, teaching everywhere where they speak Spanish? Why are you traveling over Latin America? And I was like, that's right. And that's just the way he thinks he thinks big. So his, you know, your consciousness is, is vast and, and you do, you, you kind of do share that with, with people who come, who come, you know, into your path and you are left thinking and inspired and curious and like, yes, I, like I myself hadn't thought, thought of these things, you know, my my mind apparently doesn't work as big as yours does, but it, you, you definitely do that in in everything you do it's just it's just who you are <laughs> thank you i received that <laughs> it's funny because i remember listening to a um a podcast one of my favorite podcast interviews was between oprah and paulo coelho the author of the alchemist oh i heard it it's beautiful yeah and so they're talking and then oprah opens up with him and and she says uh you know they were talking about the personal legend, which is a phrase that Paulo Coelho uses a lot in his book, The Alchemist, to signify your mission, your purpose. And she says, you know, um, some days I just feel like I'm just not doing enough. And Paulo goes, you, Oprah Winfrey, <laughs> feel like you're not doing enough? What hope is there for me if you don't feel like you're doing enough? And when yeah. I heard that, it, like, it made sense because I think most of us may feel like, like, I'm sure, Kristen, you feel like I'm not as good of a mother as I could be, or sometimes we may feel like I'm not yeah, as like- good of a teacher as I could be, or as good as a wife, or as good as a son, or, as, you know, I could be doing more, as more I could be doing. I'm sitting here watching Netflix, and I could be doing more. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that's just, that's just kind of built into the DNA um, of, of people in general to kind of get us to move in the direction of, you know, evolutionary progress or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, and so I stopped that, that helped me sort of stop feeling bad. Cause I, you, I hear you say that I think big and all that, but I think, I think small, like <laughs> in a lot of ways, I'm like, I'm like beating myself up. Like I, I need to be thinking bigger. Like this is ridiculous how I'm only, I've only written four books at this point, you know, only four. Cause because I'm comparing myself to someone like Deepak Chopra, who's written like 80 books. And I'm like, man, Deepak is only what, 70 something years old. I need, God, how am I going to get another 20 books in this year? <laughs> you know, it's like, you always compare yourself to other people, I think. And um, um, so it's just interesting to hear you say that. But at the same time, I receive it. I've learned okay. to be able to receive it more. Do you feel that your mission has been that since you were a child or and you and you you kind of noticed it when you were more into meditation or was it always there and you kind of always knew it and just meditation made it more more easy no 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 it hasn't been like that since i was a child i um i have been curious i remember being curious as a child and i've always been really curious 
um, about just the different aspects of life. So I think I would say more than anything, it was about understanding the inner workings of things as a, as a kid. And um, so I think it ties into the mission a little bit in a foundational sense, but no, I didn't get really clear about this mission until I read the seven habits of highly effective people mm-hmm. by Stephen Covey, who walks you through creating a mission, a personal mission statement for yourself and understanding what your values are. And so help, you know, getting that uh, instruction to write it down and just get really clear about it helped a lot. Also how to win friends and influence people is one of my favorites. One of my top, probably two books that I think about every day. Um, there's Stephen Covey's book, and then there's that book. And then there's a book called uh, Influence by Robert Caldini. I think his name is Robert Caldini or somebody Caldini. Those three books, I think, I think about all time, like the principles in those books. In addition to like the Veda course, I mean, that's, that's a given, <laughs> but we're just talking about books that anybody can buy at, on Amazon. Uh, or at your bookstore um, right now. So yeah, I would say those help to help me to sort of shape my mission more than more than anything else. One of the things that I've found very inspiring about you, since we're talking about <laughs> this is such a good conversation. <laughs> it's all about me being inspiring. I love it. <laughs> it's very different from the conversations I've been having lately with some of my friends. <laughs> Where we're working through my problems and understanding how I can do things better. <laughs> well, let it come to us if you need um, encouragement because mm-hmm. we're we're apparently fans. But um, it was it, and these are kind of related aspects of your work. But um, you, you're very relatable mm-hmm. in how you approach all this knowledge because this knowledge can be very seem um, out of reach and confusing and esoteric, and you make it so conversational and relatable, mm-hmm. which I actually relate to this other aspect of your work that I admire, which is you, um, you're getting meditation to people who don't normally have access to it. Mm. You, know, you, you know, the, w- on our podcast, we always talk about how meditation is an act of social change and social mm-hmm. justice. Mm-hmm. And just by being so relatable and getting your message to people that um, would not normally hear it, to me is also an act of of social change. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm a very, I've always been a very, um, again, curious person and asking a lot of questions. And I find that I found that throughout my life, um, when I get complicated answers, it just turns me off. And it makes me feel like this person doesn't fully understand what they're talking about, even that they are really smart. It's just because it's like what Einstein said, you can't explain it simply. You don't know it well enough. You don't know it well enough. And um, so I, I take pride in finding ways to simplify without losing the essence of whatever I'm teaching. And, um, and a lot of it has come through just having my own frustrations in it, like with meditation, for instance, 
I was I, my, the first few years. It was very frustrating for me. I, I didn't feel like anything was happening. Um, I felt like it was sort of the emperor's new clothes syndrome where everyone was talking about how wonderful this thing was, but I, it just felt hard. It just felt hard and unne- unnecessarily hard to me. So yeah. I, didn't, I didn't get it. And, um, and it wasn't until I met our teacher and studied with him for that week that everything turned around and then I got it. And then I was excited about sharing it as we are when we learn something that kind of breaks through the frustration. Same with yoga. I I was the stiffest yoga teacher in Los Angeles. I literally, (laughs) to this day, I can't touch my my toes. (laughs) My hamstrings are like bridge cables. And, um, and yet I'm in this yoga teacher training, trying to hide the fact that I can't touch my toes and I'm not very flexible and just feeling imposter syndrome and ashamed and so it caused me to have to figure out a way to teach that did not include demonstrations. And I had to perfect my um, ability to articulate how to do things in the class and how to, and what ended up happening, which I didn't, which I didn't anticipate was I was able to speak to people who also struggle, which are most people when they first start yoga, only like ballerinas and contortionists are, you know, flexible enough to feel like, oh, I can do yoga, you know, even though they say it's not about the poses, but it is about the poses. (laughs) If we're we're being honest, it is about the poses. And you do feel better when you can do the poses than you do when you can't do the poses. Let's just be honest about it. Right. (laughs) And so... And so you'd be in your head if you can't do it, just like I was in my head. So I know what that feels like to be in your head, class after class after class, and be feeling ashamed and all of that. So I could speak to that. And, um, and I would have this sort of running monologue throughout the class. I think people really connected with my classes, got very popular. And, um, and I did the same with meditation. And so then you just realize, okay, instead of speaking to the people who are able to do things, they don't really need the instruction as much as the people who feel insecure. And, um, but everybody feels insecure about something, even if they can do a yoga pose, they may feel insecure about their skin or about, you know, anyone you look at and you think, Oh, they're, they have no problems. (laughs) They have, they're insecure about something. And, uh, and so if you can speak to the root causes and the, and the foundational principles, then you touch everybody in the class. So it started from just like the physical stuff in those, in those environments. And then it ended up, I ended up being able to see patterns and understand that everybody has something that they're struggling with and just speak to that. And then the poses and all that will work themselves out. I love that. (laughs) That's great. Have you found that um, you've, taught a very wide variety of people from different backgrounds and things mm-hmm. because of this skill. I have. And, and also you, you start to see everybody struggling with the same stuff. Even if you have a lot of money, if you're a celebrity, if you're a burger flipper or truck driver, it's all the same stuff. Everyone's, everyone's got quietly battling something. And you guys know this from your teaching as well. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter who it is. Um, they're all going to have the same questions more or less. 
especially when it comes to meditation. You know, they're insecure about their thoughts. And so you're going to spend most of your time working with them on that. And, and teaching at the end of the day is storytelling. So, <laughs> and you know, that's, that's the great thing about it is that you don't have to know all the Veda, all the Vedic knowledge verbatim, like our teacher does. And he's what makes him masterful is this storytelling ability. He's able to tell a story about somebody with five arms and, you know, blue skin or whatever, and make you interested in how it all turns out, you know, whereas most people may dismiss it based on the fact that it's not relatable to their everyday life, but a good storyteller can tie in the, the, the metaphorical aspects of any story to regular life and make it seem relevant. And that's what you're, that's what we're practicing um, as teachers is, is how to connect with people through just sharing our own experience, which is a story in and of itself. So any experience that you've had stuck in an elevator, I remember Jeff Kober, you know, he, our colleague, Jeff Kober, he writes these daily emails He's actually one of the inspirations for me to start my daily email because he's been doing it five years longer than me every day. And, uh, and one of the most profound emails that he sent out was about him being stuck in an elevator in Chihuahua, Mexico, <laughs> when, he was, <laughs> when he was here to teach. And, um, oops. And, uh, and the story was something along the lines of I was going to teach. I was leaving the hotel. I forgot something in the room. I went back to the elevator. I got stuck in the elevator for like 20 minutes and I couldn't get out. And I got out eventually. And so I ended up being late and that was it. Nothing profound happened. Um, there was no great insight <laughs> from being stuck <laughs> in the elevator, but at some point in my life, if I ever come across someone who is having a bad day because they got stuck in the elevator, I can say, well, you know what? I know exactly how you feel. And they'll know that I know exactly how they feel. <laughs> so I'll be able to relate to them. And maybe that's why some of these things happen, just to make you more relatable. So I like that one. I like that story. And, you know, that's something that we all experience little inconveniences and stuff. And we may wonder why, 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 why is this happening to me? And maybe it's happening so that you can relate to someone. Um, at some point in the future and they'll only be able to connect with you because you've shared their experience. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that, um, that we really like about you and a lot of, a lot of one of the other things of the other. Love it. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> I'm all ears. Uh, and I and I actually told you uh, because one of my students mentioned it. It's some, and Kristen kind of touched on it that you're very relatable. And a lot of meditation teachers aren't as relatable because it's when some problem arises in society, we kind of like, oh well, it's you know, it's the universe's plan. And so you you touch a lot on on social justice and social injustice and how we can act and change these things. 
um and it's something amazing that you do because it's not just like oh it's the universe's problem we how do we put it in action how do we make it relatable and so if you could just talk about that that would be amazing <laughs> well <clears throat> you know i talk i do talk about it as a universal problem on certain groups of people. So it really depends on who I'm talking to. If I'm posting something on social media where, you know, it's sort of the lowest bar of entry in terms of how deeply or critically someone has thought about an issue, then I tend to keep it more at the ground level perspective so that, so that you're not invalidating anyone's the ground level experience that their day-to-day lived experience. Cause that is, something that a lot of people do and it ends up triggering. Um, it looks like spiritual bypassing and triggering people. Um, and so I think it's, it's definitely important, mostly because I have been fortunate enough to have a fairly decent sized following on social media. And I know for myself that when I see people that I look up to addressing very difficult issues, it inspires me to also address those same issues. So I figure the same thing is happening with me. Some people who may not have a huge following or may not be the type of person that would post about a certain issue may look at me and go, well, if light is posting about it, then I should probably be posting about it as well. So it's like you're inadvertently giving people permission to do so. And I think that's one of the biggest solutions to these issues is more people just need to dialogue about it. It's not about figuring out how to solve it today, but let's just talk about it. Let's just not, I'm not, I'm a huge fan of just getting things out in the open, you know, even if it's uncomfortable to do so, but at least we can talk about it and deal with it and, and um, figure out what, who we are in relationship to it and how we want to show up to it. And that's something that I see happening more and more because of social media. Um, On some levels, though, it can also go in in extreme directions, which is what we tend to do in the West, is we'll take it and we'll run with it. And then we'll make it this extreme black or white, whose side are you on type of issue. And if you don't say the right things in the right way at the right time in the right place, then you get labeled as a, you know, this kind of person which nobody wants to be in that camp. So you have to be very careful and it's oftentimes safer not to say anything at all and just, just watch. And, and I think that we need to find the middle ground. So I've sort of carved out my niche in that, in that um, exchange in, in helping people find the, their own middle ground and, uh, I've written before about how the truth is like a squirrel, right? And if you see a squirrel, you know, squirrels are darting all over the place. You're not going to come very close to it without it darting away unless you're very, very calm and maybe you're very inviting. Maybe you have something for the squirrel to eat. And over time, maybe not the first day or the second day or the first week or second week, maybe by forging this relationship with the squirrel, let the squirrel know that you're safe. It'll come to you and it'll eventually eat out of your hand. And I think the truth is like that. You have, we have to treat the truth like that, right? The truth, our truth, expressing our truth. We can't just 
just ram our truth down people's ears and, and vice versa. We don't want people to do that to us. But if we, if we establish a rapport, a trusting rapport and let people know that it's safe to be honest and to, that you, we're going to help them feel seen and heard, even if we don't agree or understand what they're saying, we're not going to jump to conclusions and make snap judgments, then um, we'll end up getting more and more of the truth out on both sides. And, um, and I think through the, that truthful, more truthful dialogue, that's where we're going to ultimately find our own micro solutions to some of these, these challenges. I love that. It reminds me of what I read recently about a, uh, a library or, in, uh, or a project in, in Europe where the, instead of checking out books, you can check out people. Oh yeah, I heard about that. You yeah. heard about that? They have like labels like I'm depressed or I'm right. you know anxious. <laughs> I'm a refugee. So I'm, you, you can know, hear like, their story. Yeah. Right. It's and, interesting. Um, that's fascinating because I think the more we start hearing from individual people, we get these stories as you're talking about, and it's so much more relatable. And, and it's no longer about you know turning people into they're 100 bad or 100 good. Um, yeah. And that's what's great about what we're all doing. You know, you with your podcast, me with my podcast, is we're able to share the story behind the story of people so that they can find areas of relatability and hopefully be inspired to, uh, to be more authentic for themselves. I mean, the whole mission behind my podcast is the quote, the Emerson quote, our chief desire is, or our chief want is for someone to inspire us to be who we know we can be. And that's, that's why I invite the people I invite and why I share the stories that I share. Cause I know that if someone heard this person's story of overcoming this mental challenge or this physical challenge or this financial challenge, it'll inspire them to do the same. And, and you all are doing that as well. So that's one of the reasons why I really like you. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love to hear about what you are like, what's next for you in terms of what, what is that voice of inspiration telling you to um, do now? Sure. So my problem, is, <laughs> my problem is I I'm getting <laughs> too many ideas coming through and I have to like, <laughs> streamline like hold on voice of inspiration i can't do all this stuff right now <laughs> one man show start this platform start this app you know write this book it's like whoa it's too much so um i'm in the process of writing my next book which is book number four about minimalism um i'm in the process of of creating an app to help cure loneliness and That's amazing. <laughs> increase connection. <laughs> and I'm in the process of, or oh, I'm building this online community called the happiness insiders, which again, I, I was dragging, I dragged my feet on that for like a year and a half before I finally uh, put some money on the line with some friends of mine and said, if I don't start by such and such date, I will, pay each of you X amount of dollars. And that's what, that's what it came <laughs> down to. I had to do that. Cause I knew that if I didn't do that, I would just keep making up really important sounding excuses. 
we can be Which your friends for at. that. Yeah, I know. If you need, if you need to give. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, I didn't have to pay out any money. I just, I just got to the business of launching my thing and following through on my my word. And I think that's you know, for people listening to this, it's really just about increasing the value of your own word. When you follow through on your word and you do what you say you're going to do, um, your word becomes that much more valuable. And, and then your ability to manifest things and, and create the metaphorical net that you leap into, it becomes even stronger. And you don't have to wait as, longer for, as long for it to appear because the muse or whatever you know, inspiration you, call, you want to call it, it, it trusts you and those, it learns how, that they can trust you to do what you say you're going to do. So they'll feed you all these ideas and, and, and give you all the resources that you need um, right when you need them uh, to follow through and to, to, to make good on your, your ability to leave, do whatever your mission is. Mine is to leave the world better. So whatever your mission is, but your mission is going to be something related to service. It's not about, you know, make, becoming more comfortable. So you got to, you got to divorce yourself from this idea that you want to be comfortable, even though you will be comfortable within yourself, because you know, you're doing what you're here, what you're meant to do, but the external comfort is not necessarily a part of the, the basic package of following your heart. I love that you brought that up because that was one of the most powerful things I think in the book was where you say that to be remarkable, you don't have to you know, be special or anything. All you have to do is to do what you say you're going to do. do. What you say you're going to do. Cause it's such a it's rare so thing rare. for people to do what they're saying they're going to do. <laughs> know. You know? And even to themselves, you know, even yeah, what you even tell themselves. yourself what you're going to do, even if you don't yeah. tell anyone else, if you follow through on that, you know, you follow right. through on that. Right. Um, exactly. You know it. Cause 90% of the time, no one even cares. Right. Much less <laughs> looking. They don't even care. You can go and announce to your friends, Hey, guess what? I follow through on my, I didn't eat sugar today. They're like, okay. you know, cause everyone's quietly fighting their own little battles and struggles. Right. So they don't care if anything. It, it annoys them because right. it reminds them of the promises they've broken with themselves. And so now they're looking for evidence to see how you're a hypocrite or how you're, you're you've actually broken other promises. Maybe you did that one thing, but what about these other things? So then you need a body of work for yourself. So when that, when they start hitting you with all that, you're not going to find anyone really in your corner to say, no, no, no. You know, Kristen is, she makes good on her word all the time. And da, 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 da. So you just need enough evidence for yourself to know that it really doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about me or about what I, what I've done. I know what I've done. And so it's like, you're, you're, developing a level of trust in your own relationship with yourself, which a lot of people don't have. And that's why they have to go and find out everybody else's opinion and thoughts about what they should do next, because they don't have that relationship with their own intuition. They don't have that relationship with their own heart yet. We're moving in that direction. I think everybody is going in that direction, but, um, but that's what you're investing in when you follow through on your word is you are, you are, um, you're building a stronger rapport with yourself so that you become immune to other people's opinions. And that's one of the biggest fears that we have when it comes to following our heart or taking the leap of faith is 
what is everybody going to think if this fails? I'm going to look so stupid. You know, I can't. And it's like, everybody's thinking the same thing. And so everyone's just kind of paralyzed and, and, and trying to not follow their heart, in which case you end up anxious, depressed, and all these other things. I mean, obviously there are exceptions. There's some genetic reasons for that stuff. But I think for the most part, people who are experiencing that level of anxiety or mental health challenges, it could be resolved just from doing what you say or doing what you feel deep within that you should be doing here and overcoming the, the um, tendency to be overly concerned about what everybody else thinks. It's, it's so incredible to think about um, just consistency. It's, it's not glamorous. <laughs> no, it's not sexy at all. It's not sexy at all. <laughs> sexy at all. Cause but it they, means doing it when you have a headache, when you're feeling sick, when you're right. tired, you didn't sleep well, the baby kept you up at night. It means, you know, that's the dose in the book, feed the baby mm. is about treating those activities like your children, right? It doesn't matter how you feel, your children still need to eat. You have to feed them. So even if you're in your bed and you're, you know, laid up sick, you still have to at least order some Uber eats or something. You got to do something. <laughs> to make sure that that thing happens, make sure they get fed. And you need to treat your, your passions like that as well in order to cultivate that rapport with yourself. Cause it's not, that's, you know, those are the, that's the case maybe 20% of the time, the other 80% of the time, you're just lazy. Ring honest, let's just be honest. We're gonna be honest about it. I'm lazy, <laughs> you're lazy, right? We're all lazy. Or you're busy, <laughs> or you're busy doing something that isn't as important, like scrolling, or watching, binge watching something, but you'll tell yourself this is super important for me to do because I've had such a hard week and I've dealt with all these big problems and I just deserve, you know, and these are stories. They're not, they're not factual. It's not facts. It's stories that we tell ourselves to justify running away from following our heart. And, and, and it's not about following your heart hundred percent of the time either, right? It's about finding the balance, but more often than not, we want to make sure we're, we're, moving in that direction as opposed to moving away from it. Well, I, we could talk to you for the next three hours, I think. <laughs> Part two and three okay, and four. <laughs> I know, seriously, we're going to have to have you back. But um, I, I've, I've certainly been inspired. Um, so to all our listeners, if you want, it, if you want more of light, uh, he's everywhere. So it's not going to be hard to find him. Just look up in the sky. <laughs> during the day and I'm, I'm omnipresent. <laughs> <laughs> omnipresent. But check out his new book. It's called Knowing Where to Look and get his daily doses. I know I do. And he also is, has the daily meditator, which we're working on together for a while. And there's, there's yeah, the all different ways. newsletter. Weekly well. is called weekly The Happiness well. Insider. That's right. So and please. a podcast. <laughs> and a podcast. <laughs> I know. What else are we forgetting? <laughs> <laughs> Happiness. Um, happiness insiders insiders. so please check him out you'll you'll be doing yourself a huge favor um we love him as you can tell (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. thank you all so much for listening thank you light for coming thanks for having me i had fun (laughs) thank you